This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. How many have been excited about the message series so far? Um, I'm especially excited this morning because because I found out that the Maple Leafs won something for the first time last night. <laughs> and I was so tempted to wear my Leaf jersey, but I thought, no, that would be a direct affront to some people here. And I'm all about love. Right, Joel? Right? Right? Love you, my brother. That's good. Yeah. I was going to put black... I was going yeah, no. <laughs> I was going to put black hockey tape on the back of my Leaf jersey spelling out Matthews. I was just like, yes, Jesus. <laughs> It's awesome. And for those that are not Leaf fans, we'll pray for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm excited about today. I'm going to, for those that have not been here maybe the last two weeks, I want to encourage you to listen to the messages online. Um, We've talked about there being a kind of a general over the city as far as a demonic influence is concerned. And we talked about three major points of connection or three different... um, ungodly influences in the city. So Leviathan is what we've talked about the last two weeks. We're actually going to address this morning what I saw over the downtown core, which is what we're going to term the spirit of religion. So you guys ready? Okay. Um, Just want to start with the the definition of the word unmask, because that's the name of the series, and there's a very strategic reason for that. It literally means this, to reveal the true identity or nature of someone or something. To reveal the true identity or nature of someone or something. And I honestly believe that as we declare this, and I just want to remind you again, I'm not necessarily speaking to you, I'm speaking to the city. Now, if it affects you or if it involves you or if it feels like, you know, something in your life needs to be adjusted, then by all means take it and adjust and and move on with God. Um, If it involves, uh, you know, the person you're married to, just forget about it. Don't even, don't worry about it. If it involves with, you know, a coworker, you know, don't go to work tomorrow morning and say, I think you have a Leviathan spirit. I'm going to cast it out in the name of Jesus. Don't do that. Um, you know, just pray out the spirit of the Ottawa Senators. That should help. Okay. All right. Woo-hoo. All right. Here we go. Moving right along. I want to give you guys a little bit of church history in the city of Kingston, if that's okay, um, so that we can kind of get up to speed about Uh, this spirit and how it influences and how it impacts our culture. Um, So if you guys are okay, I'm going to go on a little journey. 1792, when I was born, um, and uh, St. No, I'm just joking. I look good for 200 and something years of age. That's good. St. George's Church was formed. It was the first church in Kingston. The original building is actually not where St. George's Anglican is today. It was built uh, about 20 years later. But uh, the original St. George's Church was the first church uh, in Kingston. What's interesting about this church is the very first priest, the very first minister at St. George's Church was a man, a man by the name of Reverend John Stewart. You'll never ever, we don't have to do a test, there's no Q&A after, so you don't have to worry about writing this stuff down, but I want you to understand what is in the seedbed of this church. What were the seeds that were planted 200 and something years ago? Because we have to understand it for both good and negative, or good and bad, right? We have to understand it. So he was the first priest of St. George's Church. He was the first Anglican bishop of British North America. He oversaw all of the Anglican churches from Kingston. You have to understand this because Kingston is a significant city spiritually. Very significant city spiritually. Okay? Um, What's interesting about him as well, he was also a missionary to the Mohawk Reserves. He translated the Gospel of Mark into Mohawk so that people would understand um, and he also started a grammar school in what was then known as Cataraque. He was also a chaplain for the Legislative Council of Upper Canada. So he had his hand in a lot of different things, education, chaplaincy, uh, tra- you know, missionary work. And so you have to understand, this is a lot of really good things to know about when it comes to the actual seedbed of our church history here in Kingston. In the very same year, there was another church about 35 kilometers west of St. George's, called Hay Bay Church. Originally, it was called the Meeting House. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the Meeting House down in Burlington, you know, Oakville, Toronto Way, with uh, Pastor Bruxy Cavey. But it was originally termed the Meeting House. 
And it was started by a man by the name of William Losey, who was a Methodist preacher. And at the very same time that St. George's Anglican was being established, the Methodist church in Canada was establishing their first and oldest work in Canada, in Upper Canada, 1792, Hay Bay Church. And what was interesting about this was that it started a revival that lasted for years, not days, not weeks, not months, years. And that place was filled. You can actually go down and see the old Hay Bay Church. It is still standing. Um, it's literally right off of Adolphus Town, Hay Bay area there, and it's pretty impressive to see. 1820, I'm going to go ahead a couple of years, and, and St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, which today is standing at the corner of Princess and Clergy, but again, its original building was in a different location downtown. Um, but it was actually the center of Presbyterianism in Canada. On June 9, 1831, the church hosted a meeting of ministers that led to the establishment of the Synod of the Presbyterian Church in Canada. So not only did the Anglican Church end up here, which the diocese is on Johnson Street, so the Ontario Anglican Diocese is here in Kingston, the Presbyterian Church back in 1820 actually established their national headquarters here in Kingston. We're seeing a pattern developing here, right? Um, and what was interesting is in, 19, in 1839, they recognized the need for a seminary or an educational training facility to help train their Presbyterian ministers. And they created something called Queen's College, which is today Queen's University. So very, very interesting facts and very, very interesting seedbed for Queen's University that the very seedbed of Queen's University is a seminary. Interesting. Um, as well, Robert McDowell, who was the first moderator of the Presbyterian Church, was also the first Presbyterian priest, became the founder of Queen's College, which is now known today as Queen's University. And what was interesting is when they actually put the motion forward into the history books, this is in all the historical documents in Kingston, that the man who seconded the motion and confirmed that this is what needed to, be hap needed to happen was a man by the name of John McDonald. We would know him as Sir John A. So the very man, the very first Prime Minister of Canada, the man who had his law offices here, was the very man that seconded the motion to make sure that we had a seminary training in Kingston called Queen's College. Interesting. I thought that was, anyway. And in 1912, the formal connection between the Presbyterian Church of Canada and Queen's College or Queen's University uh, no longer existed. Um, but as many of you know, especially if you've been to Queen's or maybe a graduate of Queen's, you'll know that many of the Presbyterian Scottish traditions are still true to this day, right? And so there's a lot of history there. 1861, the Sisters of Providence of St. Vincent de Paul uh, was established in Kingston. Again, a apostolic work that was established. It was a congregation of women, an apostolic congregation of women that were formed with the primary goal of meeting the needs of the poor and the vulnerable. Well, this is in the seedbed of our city. Number one, I think there, women need to have a significant place in the city. I think there was a seedbed for that. But the second thing is, that look at our politicians in the last number of years. Some of them, even whether it's a mayor or whether it's an MPP, very significant women in our history. What was neat about them, too, is their very core mission was about the, uh, the poor and the vulnerable. And honestly, I believe that that is perfectly in alignment with what we're trying to do as a church. We want to see our outreaches and our compassion ministries expand. 1862, the Anglican Diocese of Ontario was established. Fast forward to 1919. Many of you will not know this. I know this because my mom got saved at Kingston Gospel Temple. My spiritual lineage and heritage is all from Kingston Gospel Temple. But many people don't know this, that when the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada started, it was started with seven charter members, of which one of them was Kingston Gospel Temple. There's a seedbed in this city for significant spiritual things. It's here. So we could ignore it, and we can just, you know, throw it under the carpet. But you have to understand, because there's a significant seedbed of spiritual dynamics and church dynamics in this city, then the spirit of religion is the main focus and the main force to come against it. So when we see religious things happening and we see the move of God being snuffed out because of religious uh, principles and religious this and religious that, you have to understand it shouldn't be surprising to us because the seedbed in this city is amazing. National uh, movements in certain church traditions are here in this city. Why? Because they started here. It's pretty huge. So you have to understand that we cannot be surprised that the spirit of religion would want to fight against that or want to do something against it. I want to 
talk about the spirit of religion this morning. I'm going to share a little bit more about this in two weeks. I know Sandra's going to be bringing a Mother's Day message next week, but um, I want to share some more in two weeks. But we have to understand that the entire role of the enemy with the spirit of religion is to get the church off course from its original mandate. So what's the original mandate? The book of Acts. Really, I know there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, but really we are Acts 29. Right? That's who we are. We're Acts 29. We're just the continuing story. It's like Rocky movies. What are they at now? 49 movies? I don't know. It's like, it's crazy. Right? But you have to understand that the enemy, the spirit of religion, actually wants us to get focused on things that have no eternal value. So it's church-related, it's ministry-related, it may even be compassion-related, but it's not eternally related. So they're going to put all the time, the focus, the attention on, on things that have no eternal value. And we understand that the entire principle of what Jesus came to do was about relationship, not about religion. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. If you think that, then you're a little mistaken. He did not come to start Christianity. Actually, the term wasn't even used until a little bit later on, long after he was gone. But you have to understand, he came about restoration of relationship. That was his heart. That's what he wanted to do. So before I define what the spirit of religion is and what it does, I want to just put out a couple of key thoughts, key principles, and just lay it as the kind of the framework for what we're going to talk about the rest of this morning. The first thing is this. Jesus didn't start a new religion. It was about relationship. I just said that, but I want to make that abundantly clear. The second thing is this. The further you get from a genuine relationship with God, the closer you get to being religious. So the further you get away from a genuine, authentic relationship with God, the closer you get to being religious. Okay? Number three. And I want to be really real this morning because sometimes what, we ha- what happens in, in churches, and I want to say right from the get-go, we, I am going to do everything I can not to become like this. But some of the worst churches in the world are churches that came in and planted like ours because they think that they've arrived and that we've got it all together. We've got it all figured out. That's why we started something new. We're new, we're fresh, we're better. It's the biggest garbage I've ever heard in my life. I want, I want you to know today, we're not better than anybody, but what we need to do is be really good at what God's asking us to do. Amen? Amen. But here's what I want to say, point number three. Every single believer on the planet is susceptible to a spirit of religion. So it's the moment you think that you're above it, I have news for you. Be, be on guard because you're absolutely prime target for what that spirit wants to do. Okay? Especially if you've been saved a long time. Okay? What's a long time? I'm going to say this. If you've been saved at least at least 7 to 10 years or more, you are very susceptible to the spirit. Okay? Every church is susceptible to the spirit. And sometimes we have this mindset that it's the liturgical, ecumenical, traditional, conservative churches that are religious. And all of the spirit-filled, charismatic, Pentecostal churches are not religious. I have news for you. Charismatics are some of the worst religious churches I've ever seen in my life. Because we jump onto a thought and we think because we're so free, we suddenly over time make it biblical. When it's not biblical, it's simply a culture. So you can't say that culture is biblical. As soon as you start to say that culture is biblical, you've just slipped into a religious spirit. And you're now declaring something that God never declared. And I'll tell you why we, we can come under that influence as, a, as a, a, a spirit-filled, charismatic church. Because there's this little thing inside of us that says, well, we have more revelation than fill in the blank. We understand things better than fill in the blank. I have news for you. That's garbage. How many know that life has enough problems all by itself? So we don't have to worry about how much we know. We just have to worry about how much he loves us. And man, he loves us a lot. Amen? Okay. Now, we should be growing in our knowledge of Christ, and we should be growing in what God's doing in our hearts, but it's not about what we know. It's about him. And it's always going to be about him. Amen? Amen. What does this religious spirit do? Its whole goal, its entire goal, its entire MO, its purpose, its mission Every statement on its mission statement, if you go look at its board, you know, in hell, it'll say all these things. It's about attacking unity. It usually uses uniformity in order to attack unity. If we can make everyone uniform, then then we're going to destroy their unity. How many know that there's a diversity in the body of Christ that's beautiful? I'm so glad my 17 children are not all the same. (laughs) 
I have five. For those who are new, I only have five. It just feels like 17. But I'm so glad that all five of my kids have a unique personality. There's a diversity about them. Sometimes I wish they weren't so unique. Some moments. But it's a blessing. It's a blessing to see that uniqueness in your children. Well, God's children are the same. There's a uniqueness to us. Now, someone's style may not be my style. How many know that we all have different tastes in music? Right? I will never listen to country music unless there is a gun to my head and I have no other choice. <laughs> yeah! And I also will not listen to Justin Bieber. How many times can the guy say sorry? Come on, like move on, brother. All right. But what? (laughs) I gotta get you after, man. That's good. What is the spirit of religion? I'm gonna give it to you. Ready for this? It is a demonic spirit that inspires loyalty, religious concepts, and practices in such a way as to oppose and counterfeit the true work of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna read that again. A demonic spirit that inspires loyalty to religious concepts and practices in such a way as to oppose and counterfeit the true work of the Holy Spirit. I'll just let that one sink in. That's what it wants to do. When Jesus confronted the Pharisees, which had a very large religious spirit, this is what he said to them. He was feeling really happy and chipper this day, so he said very nice things to them. Matthew 23, one of the most happy, joy-filled chapters in the entire Bible. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, for you are hypocrites. You shut the door to the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. I remember when I was a kid. Now, Mom and Dad, you may be able to help me out. What was the, the public park, the public pool that was over by Bow Valley? Can you remember the name? I can't remember it. Ah, oh, it was because I remember going there with some friends as a kid. And I remember getting to this gigantic, what I thought was a gigantic pool. Of course, when you're five, everything is gigantic. And then when you come back 15 years later, you're like, this is like a hot tub. Like, come on. But when I was that age, I'm looking at this going, this thing is huge. And I remember very much noticing three very unique types of people that were at the public pool. Um, there was the lifeguards. Right? They were wearing the red with the white lettering lifeguard, right? We remember them. And what did they have in their hand? Whistles. Why? So they blow the whistle. What did everyone have to do? Get out of the water. Most annoying times when we're having the most fun, they always blew the whistle. It drove me nuts. I wanted to bury the whistle. All of them. And I wanted to get the megaphone too and bury that. But that was a whole different subject for another day. Then you saw this other group of people. I'm going to call them the hesitant people. They were always sitting on the edge of the pool, just dipping their toes in, just enjoying the moment, enjoying the, you know, the nice little cool water. It feels so nice. But they weren't, you know, they didn't have enough in them to actually jump in. And then there's the crazies. These are the guys that have got, like, their boom box in the locker room just pumping out 1980s, you know, like something crazy, Right? Might as well jump. Dun, dun, dun. Remember that? Okay, right? All right. That's what they're playing in their boom box in, 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 you know, in their little locker room, the change room. They throw on their Speedos because that's what we did back then, right? Speedos it was. It wasn't anything else. It was Speedos. I often wondered why they were ever sold, but they were sold. And this guy comes flying out of the change room, drops his boom box, runs and cannonballs it into the deep end makes the largest splash known to man. So you have to understand when it comes to a religious spirit that a religious spirit in actuality is the lifeguard. They're the ones that are just trying to get you out all the time. Blow the whistle. No, 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 we don't do it like that. No, you out. No, 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 we don't sing songs like that. You out. No, we don't have policies like that. How dare you do that? You out too. You out. You, whoop, you. That's what they do. You have to understand this is what they do. So people under its influence are like this. They're hypocritical, they're critical, they're proud. They're legalistic, perfectionists, and self-righteous. They're critical as well, argumentative and divisive. They're condemning, judgmental, and negative. They have a very easy way of absolutely finding the worst in every situation and being stressed out about it. So what 
does the spirit of, the, of religion get people to do? Well, there's seven things I'm going to talk about this morning. What does the spirit of religion get people to do? Number one, are you ready for this? They want you to earn your status with God. It's all about works. It's not about grace. Now, I think we need a balance between grace and truth, but really the balance isn't between works and grace. It's between grace and truth, right? We need truth. We desperately need truth. And there's a lot of teaching out there in today's culture that is hyper-grace, and I would highly question some of the teaching behind some of the hyper-grace teaching. Because what it's doing is it's literally giving people an excuse to sin and saying, I can hide behind grace. That's not what we're talking about, okay? I'm talking about the difference between earning your salvation because of what you do versus earning your salvation because of what he did, right? So this, this status thing, this earning of the status, it literally perverts the revelation of who we are in Christ. So it makes us feel like we've got to continuously earn God's approval. I'm so thankful that we don't have to earn God's approval, right? So what happens is, is in your conversations with people who have a spirit of religion, they're always going to talk to you in terms of, well, you didn't do enough. You didn't, you didn't read your Bible enough. You didn't pray enough. Now, we need to read our Bibles. We need to be disciplined. We need to put those disciplines into our lives. But you'll see it out of their mouth. The first thing out of their mouth was, if you just had more faith. And I go, well, jeepers, Jesus said all you needed was faith of a small seed, and then you'd be able to have it. So it's not so much about faith. It's, it's, it's more about who you are in Christ. It's more about identity than it is about what you do, because if your identity is healthy, then what you do will be healthy. Right? But what, what a spirit of religion will do is will put on you these, these, all these things on you to feel pressure to conform to something when your heart hasn't been changed. So here's what I, I you know, you can't clean a fish before you catch it. Right? So what, here's what we need to come back to is without earning this thing, we've got to understand it's about identity. Legalism is an adherence to a strict set of rules before you can be made right. Jesus says, I am the thing that makes you right. Just come to me. The result of of this kind of pressure from a religious spirit always makes people feel like they're never good enough. And these people will never step foot in any church because they always feel judged and condemned before they even walk in the door. And one of the things I love about our church, and I'm going to have a little proud daddy moment, I love the fact that we welcome people. We, we, I mean, we're the, some of the most friendliest, welcoming people on the planet. And I love that. I love that. Honestly, it makes my day every time I come to church on Sunday morning and I just see the church in action and I have nothing to do with it. It's awesome. Galatians 5, chapter 4 says this, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Listen, grace is, is, is about something that we don't deserve, but it's given freely in love. That's the heart of God. Religious people have no theology or no room for grace. They don't have anything. Because they look at your out, outward decision. Now, again, once again, I want to clarify. If God changes your heart, outward action should follow. If they don't, then I highly question what God's done in your heart. Okay? There's a lot of people that will say, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm, I'm saved, I'm a Christian. And I honestly wonder. Because I don't see the corresponding action. Right? But we are not the ones that have to come here and have a checky box list for every single person and say, well, if you do this, 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 then you're going to be okay. At the end of the day, it's about your heart, okay? Grace is the antidote for legalism. And grace absolutely undermines and destroys the spirit of religion. It messes with its mind, absolutely messes with it. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9, it says this, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not about approval. It's about his acceptance. Amen? Can I say it like this? Your lifestyle can't be a lifestyle of Christianity. It has to be a lifestyle of Christ. Because there's a lot of forms of Christianity that are actually religious. And if we think that we're aligning ourselves to the, the religion of Christianity rather than to Christ, we have the ability to get off. And how many know that even if you're one degree off on your compass, 
doesn't take very long for you to be way off. Right? Okay. Number two, we judge others by outward appearance. Like if I wore my Leaf jersey this morning. You would be judging me. I know it. Yes, Menard. First uh, Samuel 16, verse 7, it says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This is Samuel coming and talking about the need for really there to be another person, David, who would actually be king. And he looked at his other seven sons, and even though they were impressive as men of war, nothing impressed Samuel. It says, the Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well, how does this play out in church today? Hmm, I think a lot of ways. I think in a lot of ways. Um, I think what people wear or don't wear has a lot to do with that. Can I, can I just give you a little insight into how we can become religious if we don't be careful? Well, we're dressed down. We're casual. We want everyone to feel welcome. That's the way to do things. Therefore, we're cool and you're not. I grew up wearing a shirt and tie and a suit, and I tell you, I have no problem with it. I, I just didn't like, you know, the neck feeling all the time. We're not doing a suit and tie, and we're not doing ties here, not because we have some sort of vendetta against a suit and tie. Actually, I like getting dressed up. I went to a very special, I went to a very special 10th birthday present party with my little Hannah to Cinderella, and we were dressed looking fine, and it looked awesome. It was awesome. We got a matching tie to go with her little dress, and I tell you, we looked good. But you know what? It's, it's fun to dress up. I love dressing up. But if we get into this mindset that what we do is biblically okay, rather than this is a cultural decision or to fit in with who we're trying to reach, big difference. It's a big difference, right? Who cares about what you wear as long as you're wearing something? <laughs> okay, I just want to to clarify, we want clothes. <laughs> okay, woohoo! All right, they're moving right along. Okay, okay. This religious spirit will place an emphasis on how you look, what you dress like, It'll, it'll place an emphasis on certain doctrinal positions that are actually not theologically supported. It's outward, right? It'll put an emphasis on music styles or spiritual disciplines, okay? I love this quote I found. It says, religion could put new clothes on the man, but Christ puts a new man in the clothes. <laughs> love that. Third one is this. Religious spirit in, pre- in people will, f- will cause them to conform to outward holiness rather than inward transformation. Psalm 51, verse 6, it says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make uh, me to know wisdom. God is much more concerned about cleansing the inner you than he is about the outer you. The outer you will always follow. Pastor Ray has made this comment before, and we've kind of kept it and taken it as our own, and I love it. She'll often say this when we're, when we're talking with people or helping people. We'll say, listen, at the end of the day, we're here to pastors, pe- pastor people's hearts and their actions will follow. As a parent, you're parenting your kids' hearts and their actions will follow. Right? You get their heart first, you get everything else. Amen? So, without inward transformation... You always feel like you're trying to live up to a standard that you can never attain. You can never get there. You just feel like, I'm never going to get there. And that's frustrating. And that's where, again, people avoid church, people avoid God, because they just feel like it's an endless battle they can never win. And self-righteousness is the result in those people that are putting those burdens on people. They will view themselves a lot more holier and a lot more righteous than others, and they will view themselves as more important than others. And what you actually get around those people is you get a sense of just, again, just feeling totally undervalued when you're around those people. Okay? But the unfortunate thing with self-righteousness is it never just stays there. It always leads to anger. Self-righteousness leads to anger, and angry people love to assassinate other people's character and reputation. That's what they do. Angry people assassinate people's character and reputation. John 15, verse 5 says this, and this is the answer to everything. If you want to know the answer to overcoming this, here it is. I am the vine, Jesus speaking. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. For without me, you can do nothing. 
Nothing. Fourth thing is this. Religious spirits, religious people live in methodology rather than by principle. They have actually lived in methodology for so many years that they actually forget what the original principle was. That's why I wanted to do a little bit of church history uh, this morning because I want you guys to see what is in the seedbed of the city. What good, 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 good things are in the seedbed of this city. It's awesome. Um, can I say it like this? And I, again, I, I, sometimes we hear this stuff and we automatically think of all these other churches or traditional churches in town and we start to kind of badmouth those people thinking they don't understand. But can I bring it into our church concepts or the churches that are similar to us? Here's what happens in a church. Well, you know, we're just stuck at a certain number. We can't grow. So we're going to go to the Christian bookstore. We're going to read the 538 books on how to grow a church. And then we're going to just absolutely live out all those growth, church growth models, you know, every two years. We're going to drive everyone nuts because we're changing everything up every two years. But, hey, it's okay because we're trying something new, right? So it's got to work. So we try all these different models only to realize that the model had nothing to do with it. It was the principle of loving Jesus and loving others that had everything to do with it. So we get so caught up with trying to put everything compartmentalized into if we just do it, then everything's going to be okay. What other thing that have we seen in the last 20 years that's done this? Small group ministry. <laughs> if you go to a Christian bookstore or go to christianbook.com, type in small groups, and you will get 7,839 responses. How do I know? Because I did it. <laughs> okay, 7,839 ways to do small groups. So at the end of the day, it's not about how you do small groups. It's about community. So however you get to community is serving the purpose of God for you. It's not about G12. It's not about the R3s. It's not about this, that, and the other thing. It's not about free market small groups. It's not about this group. It's not. About, it's not. What works for you in the city of Kingston with those people that are around you? What works here? Because there's oftentimes these scenarios that work in other places in the world, but they don't work here. But what we have is religious spirit people like to just jump on an idea, and they're like a dog and a bone. It's like, oh, this is the way. No, Jesus is the way. And everything else is open to discussion. Right? That was a good point. Thank you. Okay. It's not about liturgy. It's not about traditional music or non-traditional music. For some people, drum, a drum set in church is like demonic. I'm, I'm t- like every time I come in, I just come up because I want to affirm this little precious little guy. I said, Lord, we love you here. You're so precious to us at our church. You're good, a good boy. You did good today. Because, you know, when he gets, and he's out being, you know, driven around in the city and he has to go to some other places, he starts to feel rejected. You know what I'm saying? Point is, is that it's not about the drum and it's not about an electric guitar and it's not about a harp and it's not about an organ and it's not about a piano. It's about Jesus. That's what it's always been about and it's always got to be about Jesus. So what you have to do is you have to find what you're doing, what God's asked you to do, and do it to the best of your ability. Because God has got a specific call, a specific gift mix on each and every single church. So be who God's called you to be. Amen. Good point. Okay. It's not about denominational policies. It's not about man-made programs to attain results that only God can give. Another good point. Thank you. Thank you for your underwhelming response. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6. It says, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. The increase for growth, the increase for change, the increase for the Spirit of God, the increase for an atmosphere, the increase for anything is coming from God. Now, we have to align ourselves to biblical principles so that God's blessing can come but if we get so caught up in the principles that we, and the methodology of those principles, rather than the heart of God behind it, then we're going to be absolutely running around in circles, frustrated because we haven't seemed to figure out why we can't move forward. Right? How many have ever heard the statement, well, this is the way we've always done it? And you know what I'm saying? And I say... That was 1738 when you initiated it. It's time to change. 
Right? The only exception to that rule is bringing in a Toronto Maple Leafs emblem that looks like the last time they won the cup. That is glorious. I love it. Anyhow, I digress. Okay. Mark 7, verse 5. Mark, you wrote a good book, man. That was good. Man, that was a good book. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? This is how we've always done it. Instead of eating their food with defiled hands. And they said, listen, it's not our fault that we created the first Taco Bell. This was the very moment that Sloppy Joes were created. Okay, just so you know, it's in the Bible, it's in the message version. Okay, so it says, why in the world are they not living according to the tradition of the elders? One of the things that you have to understand is that the actual word of God in the Old Testament, there was the Torah and there was the, you know, the, the actual historical books, there was the minor prophets, there was the major prophets. But what the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually did was created over 500 other books of law that people were supposed to follow that were separate and, and not in any way connected to the actual Bible. They just put law upon law upon law upon law and, 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 and all this stuff on people. They kept putting heavy, heavy, heavy burdens upon people. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad. Like, for me, I've often said this. Like, just give me three things because four is too much. I just can't think at all. Like, you know, one, get up. Two, breathe. That's good. Three, walk forward. I can handle that. Anything beyond that stresses me out. Okay? So, you know what I'm saying, Joel? You know, you got my back. All right, that's good. But live by God's principles and don't get caught up in methodology. The moment that we think that we've arrived and come up with the greatest idea known to man and that this is going to be the most incredible thing, then I think what we do is we slip into a pattern where our eyes actually get off the thing we should be focused on and onto something that is different. Fifth thing is this. A religious person will be critical of another believer's walk with God. They love to be critical. They see themselves as better than everyone else. Part of that is because they take great pride in their own personal sacrifices. The problem is, is when you talk to someone who has a religious spirit, they often talk about what God did through them in 1973 and how important that was. And they're still lighting the candle and having s'mores and singing Kumbaya over the moment that happened in 1973. I remember this. We had a move of God in the church that I grew up in. It was January of 1997. I ran into someone uh, at the Oshawa Center about three or four years ago. I hadn't seen them since then. It was King Street Pentecostal Church, and it was a precious move of God that we had for this uh, season at the church. And I remember running into this person. It was like literally, you know, I'm a little bit heavier than I was back then. So I had to make sure, remind them, yes, this is Cameron Jeffs. No, I, yes, this is me. I'm twice the man that I used to be. <laughs> it's all good, though. I got married. She's an awesome cook. What can I say? <laughs> Swedish meatballs every night. <laughs> Anyhow, it's awesome. But I started talking to them, and right off the bat, they started getting into this, oh, remember when? Remember when God moved? Remember when God healed? Remember when God did this? And I went, yeah, actually he did it to, you know, I know something happened this morning. Like, no, 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 no. Remember January of 97? And I went, yeah. I only sang Kumbaya in January of 97. I'm actually on to a different song now. Right? Don't get caught up looking at how God did something in the past and want to replicate it today. Because God is always new. He's always creative. And he's always looking to do something different. Why? Because he wants your heart, not your, not your connection point to something in the past. The enemy lives in the past. Listen, we should be thankful. We should look back at those moments and say, God, thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing that. I'm so thankful you healed me. I'm so thankful. But, Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me today? Those who are critical of another believer's walk know the Bible, but don't know the God of the Bible. They know his ways, but they don't know his heart. If I say it like this as well, they often don't interact very well with those that are not Christians because they have no concept how to. Because it's all about them. Look at me. I've got it all together, man. I, I yeah, You know, I, I, I was a small group leader for 38 years, and I was a 
I was, I'm like, yeah, that's great, man. And the Leafs haven't won in 49 years, but who's counting? <laughs> I am actually, you know, and, I, and you are, but it's all good. What do they do? Because of this connection point, because of this critical spirit, what they actually do is they put heavy burdens on people, unhealthy expectations, guilt, condemnation, judgment. And what did Jesus say to us about that? Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, it says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I say this this morning? In Jesus, it's not about fighting, it's about resting. If you're fighting for something, I would, I would challenge you to learn how to rest. Hebrews chapter 4 says, there is a rest for the people of God still to this day. And too many people miss out. And I have news for us this morning. God's going to teach us how to rest. How to be in the midst of all the circumstances, the, the waves of the sea going all around us. And Jesus is sound asleep in the boat. The disciples thinking they're going to lose their life. And Jesus is sound asleep on the boat. You back up the story, a couple verses, and Jesus' last words to his disciples before he got on the boat was, take provisions because we need this for the other side. What's Jesus saying? You're going to the other side. So don't worry about what it looks like on the way there. Just rest. Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya. Whatever you got to do. I'm telling you. Whatever you got to do. Say you. Say me. Say it together. Naturally. Whatever you got to do. Just rest. Said, I don't have a lazy boy on the, on, the, on the boat. Just bring yours with him. It's okay. Bring your favorite pillow. Bring your favorite blankie. And for all of you men out there that are unwilling to admit it, bring your teddy bear too. <laughs> if that's what you got to do, then just come. Have your blankie and your teddy and just rest. Amen? In a church context... I want to speak to this because I think, again, I'm saying this because I don't ever want to fall into this trap. So part of why I'm saying this is to remind me not to ever do this. Okay, if we are critical of another church because they're different or because they don't do what we like or because they have a different standard or because they have a different style of worship or because they aren't open to women in ministry or because they're closed to women in ministry or because they're not open to the baptism of the Holy Spirit or because they didn't play You Make Me Brave or because they do their small groups different than we do or because they don't have any prayer time at the end of a ministry session or because they do this. Who cares? Right? Whatever they do. But if we think that we are better than someone else because they don't do what we do, then it automatically opens up a door to an elitist attitude. And an elitist attitude always isolates that very same person, group of people, or church from everybody else because we think we're better. One of the things that I love is the fact that there was 14 churches at Sparkle yesterday. I love that there was 15 churches at the Good Friday service. I love the fact that there's groups of people connecting. Now, that doesn't mean we're supposed to do that all the time because how many know at the end of the day you have to take care of your own kids? You're not responsible to take care of someone else's kids. Discipleship, I throw this little thing in here, discipleship belongs in the house of God. So we can do fun events together, but the discipleship process should happen here. Okay? How many know that if your kid is sick at school, they don't call your neighbor? They call you because you are responsible, right? Okay. But we have to be careful that in the process of what God's doing in us, like I have to be honest with you, I'm so excited about what God's doing here. It blesses me. But you know what the reminder for me is? This is so not about us. It's about God. It has nothing to do with us. We do our best for God because that's what God requires of us, but it's not about us. It's about him. That's good. Moving right along. Number six. A religious spirit 
a religious person will reject change at every turn. They always speak in terms of the fear of something rather than the faith of something. Well, what happens if? What happens if it doesn't work out? And I go, what happens if it does? I don't know. How in the world can a group, a small church like ours, raise 20-something thousand dollars and send it to Haiti? Every other church that's mega churches send 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. Now we can sit there and go, well, yeah, we're good. <laughs> Not, okay? Or we can look at it and say, God, thank you for being an awesome God and inspiring us to be like you. These people speak in the terms of the fear of something, the fear of what could go wrong, the fear of what will not work out, rather than the faith of something. They attack progressive revelation and refuse to embrace change. And this is why, sadly enough, and I, I'm not here, again, you hear my heart, I'm not here to, to downplay or to dis, uh, disconnect from any other church or any other movement. But you have to understand, this is exactly why, this pattern is exactly why many churches across the world today have fallen in the trap of irrelevance. People don't see us as relevant anymore. Churches are not relevant anymore to people. You know, it just isn't. So we have to work extra hard to show people that there's a genuine community that loves Jesus, and when they do, things can happen. Amen? Mark 2, verses 22. Once again, great verse, Mark. That's awesome. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Why? Because new wineskins are flexible. They, can, they have some give. They can actually take what God is doing new and actually flex to it rather than break the moment God stretches us. We have to be flexible. Amen? Okay, last but not least, number seven. Religious people love religious power, but reject the power of the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 3.5, it says, those people, the description is in the first four verses, but the description of these people ends with, these people have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Have nothing to do with such people. That's pretty strong words by Paul. These are the people that will deny that miracles exist today. They'll deny for the, in the supernatural. They'll deny the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They'll deny a bunch of other things. But one of the things that I keep coming back to with some of these people is, well, have you ever, like, just, have you ever been bothered by the fact that God does still do things in this culture? He does things. The reality is, is North America and our culture is not necessarily a good test of what God's doing, but you go to every third world country in the world where God is moving, and it's supernatural signs and wonders every week. Every Sunday, limbs growing out, people coming back from the dead. I heard a story down in Brazil a couple weeks ago, and two people that were, that were killed in a, in a car accident uh, were brought into the, the back of this chapel, and this whole ministry team went in and prayed, and they both just came right out of the coffin. I was like, man, that is awesome, because not only did God bring them back to life, but he had to heal their bones, too. <laughs> like, they were in a car, car crash. You go to third world countries, and this stuff's happening all the time. It just doesn't happen here. Why? Because we have a spirit of religion all across this area. The seedbed is good, but we need to get back to the original seed of what God had planted here. Amen? Amen. These people tend to love titles and authority and power and honor in church, but they don't get it from God. They know the truth of Jesus, but not the way of Jesus. They often minister to people based upon their own need for encouragement and approval because they're deeply insecure. So they minister out of the wrong motive. They serve not to give, but to get. And I love how Jesus taught it. This is the heart of God for every single church and every single person that calls themselves a Christian. John 13 says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, but you also love one another. By this, all will know, all, it doesn't say some, it says all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
doesn't mean we're going to agree with everyone. There's some Christians in this city that I thoroughly disagree with. It may shock you. I don't know. There's some stuff that other Christians do in this city that I just kind of go, woo that's not good. But it's not my place because I don't have authority over them. But if they ask my opinion, I'll give it. <laughs> you know, so all my prayer time at night is like, Lord Jesus, please have them ask me. Just have them ask me. Just please, Jesus. Help me to run into them at Fresco Walmart. I don't care. Just have them ask me. Well, Cameron, what do you think about this? Well, really? I will gladly tell you what I think. Religion. That's what I want to do, really. You know what I'm saying? Hello? How many have ever prayed those prayers? Lord, just have them ask me. If you really love me, Jesus, if I'm your favorite like you keep telling me, just have them ask me. Please, Jesus. He rarely answers those prayers, though. I don't know how that works, but hey. It's easy to mistake being religious for being in relationship with God. As a matter of fact, every single religion on the planet outside of Christianity are based on a man-made attempt to get back to God. Christianity is the only one that's not. It's based upon Jesus. It's about a genuine relationship. I love Paul's final conclusion to the Corinthian church. He says this in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Talk about community. Talk about communion with God. That's his heart. When he was leaving them, he's saying the very last words to them. He said, listen, I want you to understand it's about community with God. Because when you get community with God, you're going to get community with everyone else. I'm going to end with this verse. Romans 8, verses 1 to 2. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of, of, of sin and death. And I'm going to include right in there religion. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.